and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Happy 4th of July, dear listeners. Tape Heads, of course, is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we have a little chat about it. This episode, we're dipping into Lindsay's collection, and I believe that you picked a very appropriate film for the holiday. Independence Day. The 1996 blockbuster starring Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, and President Bill Pullman. Yeah, I was talking to one of my co-workers today, and she said that this is the movie she watches every single year on Independence Day. And she is not American, right? No, she's Japanese. (laughs) That's the interesting thing about this movie is that people around the world received this movie called Independence Day, named after an American holiday. And for a lot of people, this is how they celebrate our Independence Day, is by watching this alien invasion movie. Well, this is a movie that unites everyone. Yes. You even see... Iraqis and Israelis working peacefully together to destroy and murder aliens. Yes, I don't believe that they'd actually put their differences aside if the world was ending. But I don't think anyone would put their differences aside. Look at this election season. Like, what? A, talk about a timely movie. Well, yeah, you know, this is a very interesting time to do this movie because the original came out in 1996. In election year, Bill Clinton up for re-election against Senator Bob Dole. Mm -hmm. And here we are 20 years later, there's a second Independence Day movie out, and there's another Clinton running for the White House against uh, another alien creature. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely an alien creature. He's not someone that can be recognized by the average human. This is a very, very interesting movie for a lot of reasons. Um, oh, we should say we mentioned the sequel, but neither of us have, has seen it, oh, yeah, so we yeah. can't share our insights I guess we that. should get that out of, out of the way. Uh, there, I'm sure there are many other movie podcasts out there that will satisfy your craving to talk about Independence Day Resurgence. We opted not to see it yeah. because we saw the trailers and... It's also apparently they bring a dead character back to life. Yes, and they fail to bring back Will Smith, who is one-third of the triumvirate that makes yeah. this movie so watchable. I love Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum, but really, how can you do this movie without Will Smith? You need all three. I mean, I'd be just as skeptical if Bill Pullman wasn't there or if Jeff Goldblum wasn't there. I do kind of want to see the sequel because now that I'm thinking about it, it's 20 years later. What is Bill Pullman doing? He's just a retired... He's a former president and I believe that he's considered like the hero of the war of 96. Because this movie kind of shows... Almost world end. The population's been cut by probably more than half. And the White House is destroyed. You'd think that maybe Bill Pullman would just become president indefinitely. He's got such scruples, you know? This President Bill Pullman. I feel like he'd, you know, refuse the crown if it was offered. But you're right. Conservatively, I'd say a billion people die in this movie. (laughs) And not a a tear is shed, it seems like. There are tears shed, but it's really weird because this film strikes such a tone that you don't really feel all of the death, destruction, and horror that's going on. No, you you hit the nail on the head. This is a feel-good movie about genocide. (laughs) And I feel like if this movie, had this movie been post 9-11, I mean, we kind of have to talk about this is 96, 
I feel like it would have had a different attitude towards the level of destruction that's in this movie. It would be a lot darker, right? And, I, I mean, that's why part of me is curious to see the sequel. I mean, I'll probably wait until it's on video, but um, I'm curious to see what a post-9-11 Independence Day looks like. I mean, I guess this is a separate timeline in which the World Trade Center wasn't taken out in 2001 because it was already leveled by aliens along with the rest <laughs> of New York, which is crazy to think about. I'm just thinking about the new Jurassic Park though and that also kind of had this very optimistic light tone when you had children and other people dying. Uh, yeah, yeah went, I don't know. It went pretty dark though actually. You know, that, that actually did go pretty dark. I, I think so because you know it, it, I'm glad you brought up Jurassic Park because I feel like Jurassic Park and Independence Day are so linked. You know they are just a few years apart in the 90s they, Jeff Goldblum. they both have Jeff Goldblum. He even has the same catchphrase where he's like, must go faster, must go faster. Aww. In Jurassic Park, he's out running a T-Rex. And in Independence Day, they're flying out of the mothership. You know, they're both just these really big-hearted movies in which horrible things are happening. And they both have received recent sequels. One, a big hit, Jurassic World, and the other kind of has flopped they're kind of the twin blockbusters that for me kind of make up the 90s do you remember the first time you you either heard about independence day or saw it no i i remember i think i said this at the end of all dogs go to heaven i remember seeing this in theaters and i liked it in theaters i didn't feel that afraid but then i ended up having nightmares that night and i slept on the floor in my brother's room I remember this so vividly because 1996 was like the year of aliens for me because I saw some of the early commercials for this movie. There was the famous Super Bowl spot where they just show you the White House blowing up and then it says, enjoy the Super Bowl, it might be your last. And I feel like the the entire country was united in thinking, what is this movie? How do you remember these things? My childhood is a blur. Well, my childhood is defined by like, what movies came yeah, out and, and how hyped up, <laughs> how jacked I was to see these movies. And But it was also the same summer that I, uh, my parents introduced me to Alien and Aliens. Oh, such and, great movies. And Aliens in particular, there is a period where I was watching that every day on VHS. Wow. And... It was in, I believe, August of 96 that I made my very first movie, The Invasion, with my cousin Paul, <laughs> where we had paper bag alien heads and we ran around killing our, our family members. <laughs> so Independence Day, I feel like, was a part of this larger just obsession I had with space aliens. And I had the toys. There was a... Uh, when you would get, like, the action figures, they'd come with these floppy disk games. Yeah. Called mission disks. They're, like, these horrible little mini games that were not fun, what? but you wanted to play them anyway because they said Independence Day on them. I remember this was the first movie I saw in the theaters twice. Like... That's you know, so funny. it's funny because these days Jurassic Park is still very much in the zeitgeist and still has really held up in people's minds. Whereas I feel like Independence Day is a movie that that kind of has suffered from intense scrutiny. Like we'll get into it, but there's a lot of plot holes in this movie and the uh, political message of it is yeah. a little murky. 
But I really feel like at this age, I was more of an Independence Day kid than a Jurassic Park kid. Wait. Although I loved them both. Oh, I liked Jurassic Park more. I watched it more. I liked this movie well enough, but I think I associate it with having nightmares immediately after seeing it. <laughs> so well, I, it is I, a nightmarish scenario. It is. When I was watching, when we were rewatching this, I realized, wow, this is actually pretty scary. Six-year-old me really knew what was up to have nightmares about this. But then the other thing that I was thinking was, because um, you've seen this several times since it came out, but I, while we were watching it, I didn't realize how much I had forgotten of this movie yeah. and the events of it. I started thinking back, and I don't think I've seen it more than twice in my life. I'm pretty sure we saw it in theaters, and then my parents got it on VHS when it came out, and I think I saw it on VHS once, and then I haven't touched it since I was really little. Yeah, I definitely revisited it a bunch, although I probably haven't seen it since maybe college. But one other thing about this movie that I would be <laughs> remiss in not mentioning is uh, in, I think, 2000. So, you know, a while after this movie had been out, I ran for uh, student body <laughs> president at my elementary school. And for my speech, I was in the sixth grade, for my speech... I did almost verbatim Bill Pullman's triumphant speech, <laughs> this rah-rah speech at the end of the movie. This will be our Independence Day. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it was changed to Election Day. I wore a suit. I, oh I yelled at, my, at, at the entire school that we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. And I won in a landslide with that speech. That's and uh, I'm sure there was some controversy over it. I insist that it was an homage to the speech. Um, I'm sure that upset parents uh, were mad that their loser kids didn't <laughs> win the presidency because oh. I used a, uh, a speech from the movie Independence Day, but whatever. I heard this as a joke. Oh, that's what it was. It was on John Oliver where they were joking. He was joking that the British politicians that pushed Brexit were saying this will, this will be our Independence Day. And he was joking that they were quoting this film. I mean, it's it's an, I really feel like it's an iconic speech. I mean, it's I feel this, like that was probably accidental, though. It's kind of this naked sincerity that you could have in a 90s movie. I mean, this movie is essentially an underdog sports movie where, yeah. you know, this, gi Actually, yes, it this is. gigantic force, uh -huh. you know, this unbeatable team is just <laughs> rocking our shit. And at the very last, in the you know, like in the final quarter, Coach Bill Pullman comes out and just like fires us all up. And that's kind of Bill Pullman's main purpose in the movie because... Yeah. As a president, he largely fails. I mean, his... Uh... Well, he tries. He he sees Russia freak out and cause a lot of chaos because people are panicking. And so he decides not to evacuate everyone and to negotiate with the aliens first. Not knowing that they want to eradicate us to use our planet and resources. Yeah, it, but I just feel like the... And I guess I can't really fault him for using the nuke because what other choice did he have? Although that didn't yeah. really work out. Do you feel like, okay, let's just get into this. President Whitmore, Bill Pullman's character. Uh-huh. Republican or Democrat? What do you think? So we were debating this let's, while let's we were watching. Let's go through the evidence here. We were debating this while we were watching, and I feel like... For me, one of the main tip-offs was that Vivica A. Fox's character said that she voted for the other guy. 
So statistically speaking, she probably voted for the Democrat. Okay. I, you know, it's funny because on this watch, I kind of agree with you that maybe he's sort of a moderate Republican. Yeah. That, he's Vivica, George Bush light and George Bush Sr., like Poppy Bush. Yeah, and actually competent, but more competent. Senior, yeah, senior wasn't incompetent. Yeah, he has the military background. The press hates his guts for some reason. Yeah. But I think when I was a kid, in 1996, that was kind of my political awakening. Like, that was, I remember sitting down and watching the Clinton yeah. Dole debates with my family and in a weird way, Independence Day was, like, my introduction to, like, what a presidency <laughs> is like. I mean, I know yeah. it's a terrible example, but I was really... I mean, all the other kids were way into, like, Will Smith or maybe mm. even Jeff Goldblum. But I was 100% this president who just got everyone pumped up against this unstoppable force. And so I guess I just really badly wanted him to be, like, Bill Clinton, <laughs> who was my president at the time. What? And, uh... Yeah. I, I think that I just looked at him as, like, this kind of youthful JFK sort of figure. A lot of people think he, he's inexperienced, but he faces this incredible, world-threatening situation, Bay of Pigs, or alien invasion, and, you know... He just stands his ground so grittily and with such poise. The, one of the other things I was thinking about was his relationship with his wife and the position of his wife, because she seems like a pretty active first lady. She's out in California while this is going down and that sort of thing. You know, more of, more of the Hillary Clinton to his Bill Clinton. Yeah, it could be that it's sort of like... He's a he's a blue state Republican, you know. Yeah, he's I like, feel like he's he, just supposed to be palatable to everybody because this is a movie that wants to hit all of America. So I feel like that's why they didn't nail down any kind of party or give any real tip off. Yeah, you know, this movie gets accused of being very nationalistic and very pro military industrial complex, but at the it same is. time, it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> you know. Because who saves the day at the end of the day? It's really just a liberal New York Jew who recycles in his MacBook. That's who saves the Wait, day in this movie. And a heroic black man. Well, he... And an alcoholic trying to make it up to his children. <laughs> if you were to just pick one person in that whole situation, it's Jeff Goldblum who's the Well, because the he's real... the only one that figures out the countdown and tells them to get the hell out of the... There well... are a lot of things that Jeff Goldblum <laughs> does that doesn't make sense. Like, one, he decodes the countdown that the ships are communicating somehow... I guess maybe it's a countdown, there's a pattern, something, but he's able to use his magical computer. But when he has to, when he gives a virus to the alien ship, that just doesn't work for me. Like, I just don't really get it. That is something that's difficult to to digest, especially now. I also, mean, watching like, how it... does he dial into it? Does he have 1996 era Wi-Fi? Well, here's the thing about that. This is crazy, <laughs> and I just really realized this on this watch because I was thinking the same thing, and because I knew the way that the movie was going to end, he was going to upload this virus. But I was thinking, how is he planning on doing this? Is there like an Ethernet cable that he can use when he gets to the mothership? <laughs> But you know those clamps that come down on the, like, attacker ship? Yeah. Like, basically, these big tongs grab their sure. ship. That is the Ethernet cable. No, I get that part. That's how the ship connects to the mother ship, right? Their little ship connects to the mother ship. But how does his computer 
connect <laughs> to the ship. Well, I would have to watch that scene again, but I it, feel... it looked like there was a podium or something, and he just like plugged it in. But the aliens don't have our technology. There, there's not. They're not going to have like. Well, they didn't have USB cables in 1996, but... Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So this ship that they're on, we're, we're getting a little ahead of the plot here, but in Area 51, they've been working on... It's basically the Roswell Crash ship. The Roswell Crash. And, yeah, and they've been monkeying around with this ship for the last 40 years and repairing it. And doing all kinds of stuff to it. So don't you think it's reasonable that they would have their own computers hooked up to it? To like run diagnostics and things like that? It's reasonable to assume that. But they said that they had they got nowhere since the 1950s <laughs> with it. Because they couldn't get anything to happen. And it only started to show any signs of the ship working and being alive when the mothership was close. So they really made no progress. For like 40 some years. You know, this is really just one of those movies where you have to go with it, Lindsay. You just have to make the leap. <laughs> you have to make a series of leaps. Many, many leaps. Which, we should go to the beginning. Let's talk about the trailers. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of big leaps, would you believe that there is a volcano in Los Angeles? Yes, because I saw that movie. <laughs> That was the first trailer for the uh, one of two volcano movies to come out at the same time. The other being Dante's Peak. Yeah, I feel like volcano, to me, I thought that was, it's kind of like Chad with that, um, well, no, not the same way. Because that was a magical experience for Chad and his family in with that Val Saint. Kilmer movie, The Saint. Yeah. But it, I feel like volcano was a movie that everyone that was around when it came out saw. You feel that way about volcano? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was like a big thing. I and I remember being so preoccupied with it because then I, my childhood mind kept wondering, when's the volcano going to appear here? Like the volcanoes could be everywhere. I have a totally different perception of that. I understood Dante's Peak to be like the big volcano movie that came out. I've never seen Dante's Peak. And Volcano was just kind of the other one. Oh, yeah, but I've never seen I don't that. know, they're, they're different movies, though. Dante's Peak has Pierce Brosnan, and they're out, it's like a small town out in the woods. Yeah, I never saw that. Volcano's more like Independence Day. It's like a big city. Like, honestly, I forgot that Volcano existed until I saw that trailer. But mm -hmm. as a small child, I thought that movie was a big deal. That's some quality uh, Tommy Lee Jones screaming at lava in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then the only other ad was for the Independence Day video game. Did you ever play this? No, but it was on Sega Saturn, PlayStation, Microsoft 96. Or, or, um, or, or Win me. Windows 95. Oh, it was Windows 95? Yeah. Oh, because 98 wouldn't have come out yet. Yeah. I thought it was such, it was a big deal when 98 came out. I was always a Mac kid because I knew that um, I'd have to plug into the mothership someday, well, load up that virus. You missed out because Windows 95 had Snake on it. Oh, I, I would play Snake on my okay. friend's PCs. That Those were the only trailers we really got because uh, I think that they had to save room on yeah. the tape because this is, a, this is the longest film we've had on tape heads. Well, it's also not a child's film, so they're not bombarding us with advertising because they know how much they can manipulate our brains. It sure was a child's film to this child. Like, just the images of that first attack when the... I guess you they refer to it as the primary weapon 
when that sort of beak opens up and that blue light sort of spills out. That's cool. When you see that happening in three major or multiple major cities, you see it happening over the White House, over the Empire State Building. Yeah, Yeah, there are a lot of kind of iconic scenes. The uh, Statue of Liberty on her side, submerged in the water. A dog somehow running faster than flames <laughs> to jump into jump into a uh, safe zone just in time. Let's talk about some of these characters because like any good disaster movie, it's you really care about the people on the ground and this is a big ensemble cast it's besides a huge ensemble cast. Besides our three heavies. Who else have we got? We've got Vivica A Fox, you mentioned as mm-hmm. Will Smith's uh, girlfriend girlfriend you had some confusion over whether or not her little boy was also his little boy but it's 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 hers and she hopes that will smith will want him to be his there was confusion over that and did you know that in the extended cut of this movie which i have on dvd it's revealed that randy quaid's kids aren't his kids that he's their stepdad which is so weird i treat that as non-canon i like believing that they're his real kids because why not why wouldn't they be his kids because it it, i don't know i feel like some of the significant sleeves although family is not all about blood relations i realize that what did you think of vivica a fox's character her character was interesting like she showed a lot of strength but it's one of the things they noticed in the movie was that the the men had all the cool, really active roles, and the women were there to just kind of support them. Yeah, there weren't any women flying those jets, that's There for was sure. not a single one. So the guys got to do all the world saving, but she did protect her son and dog. There's Jeff Goldblum's, I guess, estranged wife, played ex-wife? by... Ex-wife? Played it's by... It's kind of confusing, because he's still wearing the wedding ring, and she's not. Yeah, that's Mary McDonnell playing that role. Who also went on to be in Gossip Girl as Blair Waldorf's mom. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm glad she... She's really good in this. I'm glad that she went on to do other things. There's also Judd Hirsch, excellently cast as uh, Jeff Goldblum's dad. He had some comic relief. Like, I feel like some of these side characters... Vivica Fox plays a slightly larger role, but Mary McDonnell as Jeff Goldblum's wife, she adds some interest and complexity to his character, but she doesn't really add a lot in general outside of that. And then there's the president's wife. Who dies? They go there. But he's not that upset about it. Because it's the end of the world and he realizes he needs to you know have priorities he needs to have resolve and he needs to you know jack him up with an awesome speech and then get into a fighter jet himself yeah i know the, i like that the president gets into a fighter so jet because fight <laughs> one of the things i was wondering was wouldn't they tell him no you can't do that we need to have some sort of concrete leader to stay here they try to but he's just he he belongs in the air is what he says Along with Randy Quaid. Who sacrifices himself in, I'd say, probably the most emotional moment of the movie. Except it's kind of campy because they zoom in on his face and he's screaming about going back to them after they abducted him before. Like, there's still some levity to his killing himself. He says, up yours to the aliens. (laughs) Um, This brings up an important point. Do you feel like Randy Quaid's character was actually abducted by aliens? Or is that 
in his imagination. I because this was one of the very few things I remembered in the movie was that he was abducted or said he was abducted and people didn't believe him, but I believed him. It just doesn't seem like their mo. Like we know that yeah. they visited. It doesn't really make sense for them to have abducted him. I mean, they're so ruthless, so they really let him go. But I kind of want to believe him because he's such a sad alcoholic. He does save a lot of people. And he's another character where they, they make it so light and ha ha ha, what a loser guy, but he's going to save everybody, so he's great. Except that they're showing him at the beginning of the movie getting drunk and flying a plane, which is just <laughs> horrifying. You've got this drunk-ass man flying around, spraying poison everywhere <laughs> because he does the pesticide spraying. With his crop duster, another That's fun fact. dark. Another fun fact, did you know that in the original cut of the movie, you know how at the last minute they say, okay, we need pilots, and Randy Quaid volunteers, and they're like, well, sure. Yeah. In the original cut, they're like, no way, we're, gonna, we're not going to have this drunk in the air. Oh. So he shows up in his crop duster, and the movie plays out just like it did before. Wait, really? Yeah, his crop duster reaches that altitude, and he's got like a bomb strapped to it. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they didn't go with that. Yeah, that doesn't work. That wouldn't have worked as well. I remember my dad telling me that that was on the laser disc, and that was the first time that I understood there were other formats besides VHS. My grandpa had laser disc. He, he thought they were going to be, like, really valuable and collector's items, so he was getting all the best movies on laser disc. Let's talk about these aliens. For most of the movie, they're kind of this faceless enemy, but eventually there's that iconic moment where Will Smith punches one in the face, <laughs> knocking it out for three hours, and he says, Welcome to Earth. Yeah, so this is another thing that I had forgotten, because when he punches it, I thought it was dead. <laughs> Which I also had forgotten that Randy Quaid killed himself at the end. There were a lot of things I did not remember about this movie, but when Will Smith punched out that alien, I was kind of annoyed because I was just kind of like it's not that easy and then that it just happened to stay unconscious just long enough for him to drag it back to area 51 and for them to start chopping it open before it wakes up so convenient I remember they first revealed the design of the aliens on the yeah. cover of time magazine that crazy exoskeleton uh-huh and I remember thinking that was just such a cool design for a creature. But I feel like the inner alien that's inside of its head is kind of just like any <laughs> other old alien. Yeah, it's kind of dorky and slimy looking. The, uh, the other thing that I don't get is he punched the exoskeleton in the head, but technically the alien was kind of like its own head was in its neck or something. Like it was buried deep in the ex exoskeleton. Yeah. I'm kind of confused by the whole exoskeleton thing because I would have thought that they would have had some kind of bionic exterior if they're going to choose to have some kind of external self. Again, I just don't think you can... <laughs> if you look too closely at this movie, it all falls apart. But, I mean, I think that that's kind of the detractors of this movie. I mean, the reason that this isn't held in as high of esteem as, say, Jurassic Park, which, for the record, I do think is a much better movie. But I feel like... The detractors either fall into one of two camps. It's, this is either like a really dumb action movie with a lot of plot holes, or it's very hyper-militaristic propaganda. Yeah. I don't think it's dumb. I do think it has a lot of plot holes that the writers were just like, eh, 
Well, they notice we have cool effects. Apparently, this script was written really quickly. Like it oh, was, yeah. it was um this duo Ronald Emmerich and Dean Devlin, who also did Stargate, and later went on to do many other disaster movies, including the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Oh God! I think that they wrote this insanely fast. I don't know how many real polishes they did of it. But I have to take issue with this idea that this is some super right-wing movie because I feel like this sort of this movie sort of gets a bad rap because Bob Dole during this election cycle famously said that we need quote more movies like Independence Day and less movies like Natural Born Killers, which was Oliver Stone's crazy uh, kind of the media create serial killers or glorify serial killers movie with Woody Harrelson. Uh-huh. I feel like that sort of gave this movie a bad name. I think that this differs from like a Michael Bay movie in the sense that there really is no like liberal bad guy. Like there's no one out there saying, no, the aliens are just misunderstood. Well, and there's more character development than Michael Bay film if we're thinking of like transformers or something well i just think of like a prototypical michael bay movie is there's slow motion shots of military dudes almost like fetishizing them slowly walking out onto the tarmac with their guns with an american flag behind them and this movie doesn't really do that it's just kind of like yeah we've got these jets that's what we got we got to use them these guys are marines because that's what we would use. I feel like it doesn't really dwell on like the optics of all that. Not the optics, but it does show military personnel and, and everyone involved with that sort of military complex as being altruistic and like passionate about saving the country, which isn't necessarily always the case. Mm-hmm. So I think I think maybe the criticism is coming from like there's a lack of complexity in the people shown in this film. I feel like one of the more human moments in the movie is when Will Smith's character who is a captain in the Marine Corps when he steals a helicopter to magically find his wife or a girlfriend, he he basically is stealing this helicopter and another marine pulls a gun on him and Will Smith kind of looks at him and is like, "Are you really going to shoot me?" And, of course, the guy lowers his gun. And I've always sort of understood that to be that when civilization is kind of at its end, there's kind of this understanding between people, like, I'm not your enemy sort of thing. You don't think it was, like, the military connection between them? Like, hey, man, I got your back. Why don't you have mine? I could see it being viewed that way. But weirdly, I remember the day of, or maybe the days following 9-11, I kind of weirdly that scene kept popping into my mind because there's kind of a feeling it's easy to forget right after September 11th where we kind of felt like yeah we're all in this together yeah and and I feel like that was kind of a movie that people revisited a lot weirdly following September 11th just because it was a way of like sort of making sense of it Mm -hmm. because I agreed that it this is a movie that has a very like idealistic view of Americans especially under the shadow of massive tragedy. Yeah. Well, and just an optimistic view of the world. Like, they're they're able to, within minutes, get an entire coalition going globally against these aliens. Like, it's just almost instantaneous, which I feel like would be much more difficult in the real world. 
the British, the Russians, the Japanese for some reason. What were your thoughts about the Japanese mobilizing their forces in 1996? It's kind of weird because they have the the defense force, but they don't really have like a full-fledged military force. So that's where it was a little weird. I was wondering what China was doing in all of this. Yeah, well, apparently in 1996, China wasn't a big player. That's so crazy to me. Isn't that weird? Because you, you take for granted that we would have featured China now if this movie was made now. Oh, I guess they remade it so we could just go see it and see if China's in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want this podcast <laughs> to just devolve into guessing what's in the sequel <laughs> that we probably won't see. But I do you really want to see it. I'm, well, here's the thing. I'm curious. I know it's not going to be good. Listeners of this podcast will know that I'm a big practical effects guy, and even though there is a ton of CGI in this movie, they set the record for the most miniatures and models of any Hollywood movie. Which is insane. I think it was two other movies combined are the numbers of little planes and little crafts and little streets that they designed and blew up. Um, it's crazy to me. I would have thought that record would be set by Star Wars. And just looking at the trailer for the new one, it's 100% CGI. And it just, like, for some reason, seeing models blowing up, even if you don't actually see, you know, the real human cost of that, it just mm-hmm. feels more visceral and real because you can tell they are on that set and used real explosives to do it. Yeah. But anyway, do you think China's going to be in the coalition on the new one? Probably. Yeah. I mean, if the Iraqis and uh, the Israelis could put aside their differences. I think another thing that kind of ties into the 90s optimism, if we're going to call it that, is just despite the fact that literally a billion people die in this movie, it never feels mean-spirited to me. This is not a mean movie. Well, they're kind of mean to the aliens. Well, they're the bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) It expects the best of people. Except for that one guy that talks about calling his lawyer that gets blown up in his car. Even he's likable, though. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Fierstein. The closest we have to a human bad guy is the Secretary of Defense. And he just doesn't know how to deal with the situation. But again, like, I feel like usually one of these alien invasion type movies, there's always some really unlikable human who are just so happy to see get killed by the aliens. And that doesn't really happen in this movie. And I think it's kind of a better movie for it. We haven't talked about how Data was in this movie. From Star Trek The Next Generation is in this movie wearing a wonderful wig. But he has the most gruesome death of any character. He's the kooky... Supposed death, but apparently he comes back in the sequel. Which is crazy to me, because he's super dead He's really dead. But no, so Will Smith brings the, mon- the monster, the alien, back. They're trying to test it, and while it's still alive, they're chopping it open. Mind you, they're in a lab room that has a glass wall that looks out on three tubes that have the corpses of this alien's brethren in there so we're talking this is pretty sick setup that they have this alien and they're trying to chop him open to see what makes him tick yeah so they can figure out how to defeat them and they don't have it restrained or anything they didn't restrain or anything i'm guessing they didn't realize it was just unconscious no they say how long has it been unconscious and will smith says three hours oh you're right so they know it's unconscious but they didn't tie it down we got some really dumb smart people working (laughs) on this alien but he gets killed in a really graphic way 
I guess for this film, pretty graphic. It's kind of surprising because it's one of those moments in the film where you can kind of, like, it feels like it's transitioning genres a little bit just for this one moment. It's a very horror. Yeah, it feels like a scene out of Alien. And just that that tentacle around his neck is definitely an image. And it's funny because for a movie that kills so many people off screen... This is one of the well, few... Well, their deaths are kind of, like, meaningless because you have no personal connection to them. Yeah, that really is one of the deaths that you really feel because it's on camera, him getting strangled. Um, but that is also the scene where we find out what these aliens want. Uh, telepathically, President Pullman finds this out. Mm-hmm. That they're essentially kind of just like us. They're kind of squandering their resources... They got technology to get off their planet and well, take another planet. Who's we to say we won't have yet. that technology? Maybe the aliens yeah. are us. We from need to the figure future. that out fast, thanks to climate change. Yeah, but it's that's a I, I sort of buy that as a reason that an, that aliens would invade us. Yeah. It's just wipe out all the civilization on the ground and just so you can have it a blank slate to move in your own people yeah strip all the resources get what you need out of it and go on to the next planet so we've talked a lot about bill pullman i'd say his character is sort of the soul of the film we've talked a little bit about will smith i'd say he's the heart of the film but who we haven't talked about is uh, the brains of the operation, Jeff Goldblum. Or as you pointed out, the drunken brains of the operation. <laughs> I do find it interesting that in the wee hours of July 4th, the day we fight back, he's been drinking Johnny Walker all night. He's been up drinking whiskey all night when he comes up with and executes this idea to defeat the aliens. If Jeff Goldblum is able to defeat the aliens drunk, just imagine what he can accomplish sober. I I still like, and he sobers immediately. He's talking about sending a virus out to the mothership, and that that they would have like a few minute window to destroy all of the other like satellite ships around the world. And no one says, "Man, you really smell like booze," and you would just. <laughs> throwing shit all over the lab like no one says anything they're just kind of like yeah we should do this except for the the department of defense guy that you said was the only like sort of bad one but really he was the only kind of sane one there well like it worked out uh, yeah i mean at that point you know you if you're assuming that if there's three dozen ships i think they say that there's three dozen of these destroyer ships so they're destroying three dozen major cities, like, every 12 hours. It's like, I would jump on the first crazy idea that anyone said. I mean, you have uh, to do everything in this point that you can, because everyone's going to be exterminated in another 12 hours. Yeah, they, they give an estimate. And also, that ship is right above Area 51. Yeah. Uh, presumably because the telepathic link kind of spread the word that yeah. Bill Pullman was there, but... It is amazing what Jeff Goldblum is able to pull off. Yeah. And Will Smith, when Will Smith, he runs into a caravan after he's crashed his plane and has been dragging the alien through the desert. Or excuse me, the salt plains. Oh yeah, Utah. And so he ends up hitching a ride with this caravan of RVs of random ass people, including drunk Randy Quaid. That is a big coincidence that all these people meet up when they they do. They just happen to drive by at that moment. So he's like, hey, can you take me to this military 
base and they're like there's no there's none there and then he's just kind of like well it's there they get to area 51 and the guard is refusing will smith entrance and will smith shows him the alien body and says this is you know this is my pass to get inside or something like that and then they proceed to let in every single member of the caravan (laughs) And it's like this is Area Fifty One. This is supposed. To, this is the end of the world. This is supposed to be a secure situation. This is where you have your only chance to figure out how to save the world. And they let in this ragtag group of randos. I mean, I, I think what's even crazier in all of this. You mentioned how important Will Smith is to this, and I agree. I think that although Jeff Goldblum plays the most critical role, Will Smith is the one who flies in there. He flies an alien craft that. Yeah. For the very first time, and he's a pro at it. I like how Jeff Goldblum says that they have to fly that to the mothership, and one of the people are just like, "What? Who's going to fly this thing?" And Will Smith's like, "I will." <laughs> he just knows he can do it. I love Will Smith's performance in this movie. This was his first big film role, really. I mean, he was really only known for his rap career and for Fresh Prince of Bel Air yeah. prior to this. Um, and I guess, well, maybe Bad Boys had come out before this. The When did Bad Boys come out? Okay, so I stand corrected. Bad Boys is 95. But still, I'd say his, his big breakout film role is here. A lot of it is just kind of one-liners, but he, he's pretty believable throughout. Yeah. It does take him a while to be worried about his girlfriend, though. People in this movie in general don't seem that broken up over anything, really. No, none of it's that real in this movie. But we did forget to mention two major connections. One is to another Tapeheads episode. There was a major general. Robert Logia. Who was the toy company CEO and big. Oh, yeah, on that keyboard. And then Randy Quaid's daughter is the oldest daughter in Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, end of the movie, word has gotten around that this is the way you uh, you take out these ships. I guess you have to sacrifice everyone around the world has to fly directly up into the ship and Unless sacrifice themselves. Unless they have themselves. more firepower. Our guys ran out of bombs, remember? Yeah, that's true. But then there's just kind of this scene out in the desert when uh, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum just kind of swagger through the desert towards their loved ones and the president. the ladies that are waiting for them. And then there's fireworks in the form of huge pieces of debris falling to earth. I remember that was another thing that concerned me as a kid was, where are these falling destroyed spaceships going to land? Like, I feel like more people would die from these 15-mile ships than the aliens themselves. Somehow, none of the alien ship they defeat lands on Area 51. That's all spared, pretty much. Like, is it just vaporized? Is that what we're to assume? No, because we see them fall and... As a unit, they're not broken up much. (laughs) All right, Lindsay. Well, this is your tape. Do you buy it? Do you rent it? Do you tape over it? Independence Day. What do you think? This is a really hard one because there's a part of me that wants to say buy it because it's so ridiculous and so American and so American in its ridiculousness that I feel like this is kind of a buy it for Americans or people who want to know something about the absurdity that is Americanism. 
But for me personally, it's probably Rent It. I'm not going to revisit it a lot, but I want to watch it maybe, you know, I'll watch it again sometime. I agree with what you said, but for those reasons, it's a buy it for me. (laughs) (laughs) For me, this is just so linked to a very specific time. This movie could not be made today. Sorry, Independence Day 2. You can keep your Liam Hemsworth and your your CGI alien ships. Wait, did they put Liam Hemsworth in there? He's basically the Will Smith of that movie. It's so sad that they got the light, like the less attractive Hemsworth brother. <laughs> Poor Liam Hemsworth. Um, to me, this is just, like I said, this and Jurassic Park are the great 90s blockbusters. And I feel like you could pick apart the politics of this movie and the numerous plot holes, but that just kind of makes it more interesting to me. There's a lot in this. I mean, we didn't even really cover it, but I feel like if I rewatched it, there would be so much more to say about gender in this movie, or even just, I don't know, the military-industrial complex. Like, you could delve into things a lot deeper than we did in this episode. There's so much fodder, and it's kind of crazy. It's difficult for me to even speak at length about, because on the one hand, it's super politically charged, and on the other hand, it's just kind of dumbly apolitical. You know, it just sort of deals with things in broad strokes. But, But, I mean, I think that's what's interesting about it, because they tried to manufacture a film that wouldn't offend anybody, and it would play into the senses of the, of, like, every average American. This film caused such a stir when it came out and was so popular that Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs down on their show, and then they had to have an additional episode explaining why they gave it two thumbs down. Wait, really? I remember watching that with my dad. That's I'm not sure if that's on YouTube, but I vividly remember watching that. It's funny because I would always watch uh, Siskel and Ebert with my parents, and that was the one time when I was like, wait, maybe they're wrong. (laughs) But yeah, I think that this this film is just, one, really linked to my childhood. Two, I think the cast is fantastic. I, I think it's just one of the great ensemble casts in a, a big blockbuster. Particularly these three leads. And just visually, it's just stunning. These gigantic ships, these gigantic model ships over the great cities of the Earth. I think it's a kind of a singular American experience that should be uh, enjoyed by all. Yeah, maybe it is a buy it. Are you are you changing your your answer? No, it's hard. There have been times where I've said buy it or rent it or tape over it on the show, and I've maybe wanted to change my vote. I feel that way about two movies that we've had on the show. Yeah, I I actually never want to take back a tape over it. If I say tape over it, it deserves it. Yeah, a tape over it. There's no taking that back. But the buy it, rent it thing, I'm with you there. It's a struggle because it depends on my mood. Like right now I'm thinking rent it, but then maybe tomorrow I'll feel buy it. But I think it really just depends on the person. Like if you like ridiculous movies that don't really try too hard to be complicated, but are just fun to watch then this is a buy-it, probably. As far as the nationalism in this movie goes, I'll just say this. Usually I am so embarrassed when I see extreme examples of nationalism, like what Trump is doing right now. I just think about people in the other parts of the world thinking, oh, this is what Americans are like. 
But when Independence Day does it, it's just charming. And when I talk to people who aren't American, they have a very positive view of this movie too. And I feel like it's just, it is nationalism and it is a lot of stupid ideas, but packaged in a very optimistic and good-spirited way. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a loving sort of nationalism and the other is an alien, not other people. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes it much more comforting and comfortable because you see all of the human beings around the planet working together, so that's why I think it's kind of inoffensive. Yeah. What's on next, Sean? I've decided it's time to, to have our buddy, friend of the show, John Cusack, on here. Well, Not of, as an uh, actual guest. One of his films. This is a really fun summer comedy. I've sort of already given it away, but I feel like it's sort of an underseen one that I'd like to uh, introduce you to. It's called One Crazy Summer, and it co-stars Demi Moore and Bobcat Goldthwaite. Oh. And it's one of those 80s comedies that's often spoofed. It's the kids banding against this evil businessman. And damn it, they're just trying to have a fun summer. And it seems like a uh, nice refresher after this, uh, all this genocide. Well, that sounds good. I haven't seen that one before. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other episodes on our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. If you have any questions you'd like, you can send, yeah. If you have any questions, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. Please look us up on iTunes and rate and review. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 